Welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf, founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. I am delighted that today we are joined by Rod Lacey. Rod is the Chief People Officer at Simpro, and our discussion is going to explore Simpro's approach to employee empowerment as they prepare for the future of work. Today's interview is part of the Connex Executive Insight Series brought to you by Connex Partners. Connex Partners is the number one executive network for HR and healthcare professionals. Connex connects business leaders from across the U.S., helping them solve their greatest challenges together. Rod, can you start by introducing yourself, Simpro, and your role within the organization? Sure. Name is Rod Lacey. I'm the Chief People Officer at Simpro. I've been there for about four months. So quite short time, but I've had a fun time managing the people side of the business and rolling out some amazing new programs, great organization. They are a software company, a growing software company in the trade space. They provide an end-to-end solution for your electricians, your plumbers, your HVAC, those types of organizations to manage their businesses, make them more efficient, billings and so on. But we've got employees primarily in four countries, but we're expanding. Headquarters is Brisbane, Australia. Uh, we've got employees in New Zealand, UK, and US, about 480 total, but we've recently expanded into Singapore and the Netherlands, and so slowly expanding globally as well. So future of work is going to look different as you look across your platform as well then, and managing workforce dynamics in different countries. It does. It does. I mean, certainly there's always the legislation to look out for. There's the guidelines and mandates from different governments that impose certain things, but we are on the generous side in our employee programs to make sure that wherever we land, we can be a market leader in our employee programs. As we've gone through the pandemic, and I heard you clearly, you've been here for four months during your tenure, how has the employee-employer relationship changed and what does that mean culturally and strategically as you prepare for the future of work? Let me speak outside of my tenure just a little bit because there's an interesting phenomenon that occurred post-pandemic, not just at Simpro, but I think at many organizations. If you think about you know, early 2020, we all had to figure out a new way to work. We all got pushed home. We were fearing for our lives if we ever touched our grocery bag. I mean, it was just a really interesting season for all of us, but we found quite a few things. We could be productive. In fact, maybe we were too productive. We had to teach people balance in life. We had to say, log off your systems. For the most part, I mean, we all lived through it. We found ourselves in this new era of productivity, a different way of doing good work. I would have even said before the pandemic that my job needed to be office-based. Primarily, that HR should be face-to-face with the employees. It seems to be kind of the traditional sense, but I've had an amazing experience managing global workforces from a home office, and it's been effective. And so going that far back, again, to set the stage for where we're at today, it became important for our organization, for any organization, to understand the new era of work. Employees' priorities changed. They spent time with their kids more. They spent time with extended family I was a wonderful couple of years for pets. They saw more of their owners, but values were realized. They became more of a priority for people. And as they were returning to the normal, they still had those same desires for a different work environment. They wanted something that was a blend of this 
at home from work comfort than no commute and maybe they missed the office environment. And so it became more important for the employer to listen to the employees and understand what that balance was because at the end of this time, we're also facing this great resignation where it was just amazingly easy for people to jump from one job to another and make a little more money. So employers were losing people left and right. So you had to listen to your people. So that gets me to the Simpro story where listening to the employees, they wanted a hybrid work environment. They wanted an opportunity to continue to focus on their priorities, to spend time with family, to pick their kids up from school. They wanted and they expressed a need for a different balance than they've had before. And initially, to be honest, uh, the, the leadership team was like, no, 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 where that's just a little outside the bounds. We're not there yet. But the employees continued to speak and leadership continued to listen. And there was a point where there was a buy-in. We're going to give this a shot. We're going to give it a six-month pilot. So speaking to this 32-hour work week that we have today, mm-hmm. where we, we call it Flex 4, but we have our employees paying for 40, but they work 32. And for many people, it's they take a Monday or a Friday off. Think about those good weeks that we might enjoy in the traditional jobs where we get a three-day weekend. Those are great, refreshing weekends. Sometimes the Saturday and Sunday just isn't enough between chores and honeydew lists and lawn mowing or whatever else you've got done. But most of our employees experience a three-day weekend every weekend. They get that refresh every weekend. And others that are not doing that are flexing their time. I I don't do the three-day weekend, but I have the adaptability in my schedule to go for a long bike ride in the morning if I choose or to leave early to go for a hike with my grandkids in the afternoon. We have the flexibility to work as it works for us. And so we did the pilot and the pilot was truly a test. Leadership body and we're going to do this. We're going to give it a legitimate worldwide pilot. This is flipping the mindset because they listen to the employees. We measured at the halfway point at the end, very important metrics. We looked at engagement. We looked at mental health, physical health. We looked at burnout and stress, and we looked at productivity. What we found was amazing at the midpoint, at the end, the survey was done by a third party so that we got candid feedback. All of those indicators were absolutely moving in the right direction. Engagement was up. Work-life balance was up. Happiness was one of the things we measured was up. Burnout and stress were down. Obviously, hours worked per week were dramatically down, but productivity remained the same. And that's a huge success for us because when you're removing, you know, a day of the week from the mix, you'd expect productivity to go down by 20%. It didn't. It stayed the same. And so for us, that was all the success we needed to see. We've recently embraced this globally as a permanent go-forward program. That's the employees that asked for it meaning it wasn't like the leadership sat in the room and said, we ought to go with a four-day work week. Employees were asking for something different. We listened and implemented, and it's been amazingly successful. We had blips during COVID of things, people were more productive and then they were less productive. Yeah. It sounds like you wouldn't have gone permanent if you don't expect this to be more productive. It's not a blip. Right. So let me let me tell you an interesting thing about the more productive, less productive that I don't think a lot of those surveys take into consideration. As we've rolled out programs that work for our employees, allow them to be adults and manage their lives, uh, our voluntary attrition is dropping down to 
a negligible amount. It's just almost non-existent because we're taking care of our people. So think about the skill set that we've got in our productivity. Think about as we grow the tenure of our employees, they know their jobs better. They know the customers better. They serve better. Productivity is going to go up. Again, that's an element that I don't think a lot of those surveys take into consideration is these organizations that were losing 30 to 50% of the workforce every year, productivity is almost impossible to measure. But again, we're measuring like over like the same employee base over this period of time and seeing flat or improvement, which didn't surprise me because I watched how the workforce adapted early pandemic. It was pleasant at the same time to get the results back and think, yes, we can keep this program. Your tech sector, and that's one of the areas where people are resigning a lot. That's right. They can work remotely. So there's limited barrier to, I live in Ohio, but I want to take a San Francisco job that has a higher pay range. I can do that right. in the tech space. So that's even a stronger endorsement that given the mobility of your workforce, yeah. if your attrition is negligible, and to your point, having coming out of a consulting firm, this was years ago, where we were growing at 25% a year, plus people were leaving. The ability to just run a project when a quarter of your people yeah. are new. I mean, they're, they're competent, they're smart, they're all those things, but they don't know your stuff was painful. No, Maureen, to your point, I've had that job before. I've been in those environments where the churn is higher. It's the treadmill that just won't end. You've got to not just add your growth, but you've got to refill and backfill those that have left. And your productivity is never where it could be. Now, you can't keep everybody, right? And it's not healthy necessarily for an organization to retain everybody because skills may change, your needs, requirements may change. And we're growing. We're growing in all markets. And so we are adding the new people. But what a benefit for us to be able to secure a workforce in such a way that they're contented, happy. They know we're taking care of them. They know that we have their best interests in mind. They're also not afraid to speak up. I mean, again, this example of employees saying, you know, what about a four-day work week? And we did it. Who wouldn't share their thoughts openly in the organization after a monumental success like that? And their pay stayed the same. Their pay stayed the same. There was no reduction in pay for the reduced hours, but we recently gave, well, it was 85% of our employees an inflationary pay increase as well. So recognizing that, again, you think it's still in the same thing. We want to keep our people. They were feeling the pressures of this crazy market we're in now. And so we're doing what we can to treat our people well and make sure they understand we want them here. It's just an amazing story as I think about all of the questions that some of your cynics are asking as they listen to you talk about this. Yeah, for sure. I would have been a cynic about the ability of my job to be successful remotely. Again, traditional mindsets would say that certain roles will accept manufacturing and some of those hands-on roles, but so many of our roles were productive and effective in this forced environment of the pandemic. It's made organizations far more easier to expand globally. There's so many benefits, even on the diversity side of the business. And forget the markets you might be bound to and look for the best talent wherever it might reside. So many great opportunities for a business to improve where they're at if they embrace these things. Now, on the four-day work week and some of these other things that we're rolling out, of course, there's people that'll say that'll never work. It's not going to happen. My encouragement would be to give it a pilot. Try it on a small scale. 
swear people to secrecy, so whatever it takes, but it'll work. It'll work. If you think about this new era of leadership, we're leading digitally. We're leading people, our organizations being led by video. We're beyond the era of the maybe the charismatic CEO that you know walks through the building and everyone's, oh my gosh, there, there's Sean, you know. We're beyond that. And now these relationships are made digitally. And the thing that's resonating to people is the relationship. Somebody cares about me, somebody understands me, they've connected with me. And these things we're doing exude that. They they tell people, you can be who you want to be. You can be the triathlete, you can be the mother, you can be the service-oriented individual that you know, spends Friday evenings at your church. You can be whoever you choose to be, and we're going to provide the schedule and the support for you to be your best self. So when you consider, I guess those might be the cynics out questioning what we're doing and wondering, can't be right, can't be real. What we're giving employees is what they need, what they've expressed. Again, the good news is we're growing. We're profitable. Customer service is incredibly high. Our engagement, mental, physical health, we're seeing so many positive indicators. The numbers speak loudly, but for someone that's a cynic about any of these things, you know, give it a pilot, give it a little try and see. So the mental health thing, that component seems so crucial. And I know we give it some nod that we know it's an issue, but I haven't heard a lot of companies other than we offer yoga at lunch or, but this is a different sphere of how do we address mental health? When we look at even things like stress reduction programs, cortisol levels go down, absenteeism goes down, productivity goes up, sleep quality goes up, and most of us function better if we are rested. So it does resonate that it would work. Back to the cynics, you're going to have some people who will abuse everything or anything. I assume you treat them as a one-off, not five people were misbehaving, so we penalize everyone. Maureen, I love that because that gets into the essence of how I try to do HR. I've got a platform, I call it Eyes Up HR, meaning that I want to assess the situation with the employee in mind, looking at them, understanding their situation, understanding who they are, and you do that. Again, visually, meaning you're connecting with the individual, understanding them. Eyes down is the old school where I open the policy book or I add to the policy because of the abusing minority. I'll never forget a time where we had one employee that was a maverick. This is a former employer, but a maverick with the expenses and and the accounting and finances. We need to update our expense policy. I said, no, we need to talk to that individual. They ended up rolling out this whole new expense policy to manage the one individual. So. On our side, again, we're allowing people to be adults to manage themselves. We make the objectives and targets very clear. We allow people to manage themselves to those things. Now, there are times where they recognize on their own that they are behind and they might work their flex day. It's not mandated, but they recognize the role expectations and they govern themselves incredibly well. Yeah, what we're not doing is we're not writing all of these massive guidelines. We had to provide clarity. There's little things like, well, what about if, you know, July 4th falls on a Friday and that's not my flex day? So so we had to provide some clarity around the application, but not around, I guess, the restrictions and the boundaries. But we've got the unlimited paid time off policy in the U.S. You don't want to roll that out and say, and we think unlimited feels like about 
20 days a year because that defeats the whole purpose. And so you allow people to govern themselves. And if they're missing their targets, objectives, you address that around their performance, not by adding to a policy or standard. This seems like the crucial question. It sounds like you may have some abuse. And to your point, that's a performance management question. Yeah. And the rest of the population is tending to value the benefit and choosing to behave accordingly. Yeah, just almost without exception. The organization has just embraced it and and done exceptionally well. Our issues were just unforeseen applications. So, you know, there were just week to week, a couple of questions that would come up and go, oh, I hadn't thought about that. But no, I would say that, again, where we've made the objectives so clear and performance expectations have been outlined for employees, they're getting their work done and reporting to their managers, having one-on-ones. I'll tell you another interesting benefit. Like I said earlier, I don't take that flex day. I might take flexibility during the week. However, because most of our employees take a Monday or Friday off, what I get on Monday and Friday is the coveted no meeting day. Because if you think about it, there's there's half of the employee base off one of the two days. So I don't have that many meetings. And so I'm moving projects forward at a pace like never before because those are light meeting days for me. Otherwise, I mean, every other prior role, my calendar was like liquid. If, if there was an opening, something flowed into it and the day was gone before we knew it. So there's some other advantages, even for those that are not flexing on a Friday or a Monday. So you could take Wednesdays off and have no meeting days and a day off. <laughs> that would be a dream. Give that a shot. That's a wonderful plan, Marty. <laughs> there is also the how do I meet my objectives bit. But... Yeah, that's true. There is work that needs to be done. Well, so the other thing you said is people are generally working around the 32 hours. They're not doing 12 hours a day for four days. That's right. Yeah, we have seen, and that, that's been our intention. We've seen that people have embraced working less than 40 hours a week. There are times where we see more, uh, more than 32. Again, we're not seeing more than 40 on average because they're going to be gone for a full day. They're meeting their deadlines or meeting their objectives. But yes, we have seen a reduction in the overall hours worked per week. But we're seeing, again, that self-governance where people are recognizing where they're at in their projects and are getting the work done, even if that means working a couple extra hours a day during the regular work days or maybe on some on their flex day. But we're doing what we can as a leadership team to embrace this flex concept, meaning we've got a hashtag we put out there on social media, which is how I flex for. And we want our employees to post what they're doing on their flex days. If you look at those out, there are CEO comments on every single one of them because we want to make sure that they know that's wonderful that you took Friday and went for a hike in the Rocky Mountains. That's incredible that you check something off your bucket list. You know, we've got people that are exploring hobbies or serving. And so we're doing everything we can to endorse that. We want you gone, you know, disappear, enjoy it. This is how we operate. So there's no medals or awards for above and beyond at our company, meaning we get our work done. We accomplish our objectives, but there's nobody that will ever be recognized here for working all of their flex days to get something done. That would be completely counter what to what we're trying to drive. We're trying to teach that this is okay. This is how we operate. This is a significant change in leadership mindset from the traditional squeeze all you can out of people. Yeah. That makes us more profitable. How did the leadership team get there? Were they all that progressive to start or this was quite a journey? 
it was a journey. There's no question that most of us have to get our heads around some of these new things. Now, I've been wanting to try a four-week work schedule, you know, pilot it for a while, no success. Simple reached out to me when I heard that they were about ready to lock into a four-day work week. I said, I'm in. Please select me for the job because I wanted to work with a leadership team that was that willing to try new things because that's what it's going to take to succeed in this new era of work is the organization that leads with these things rather than responds when it's mandated or something to that effect, then somebody else gets all the credit. No, the leadership team was very much against it for a while. If you think about the era, the period of time where people were being encouraged to come back to the office, that's the era of time we're talking about where our leadership was like, we're not going to do this. We're hearing that our employees would like more flexibility. They would, you know, we need to get back to work. We need to get back. And the employees kept speaking, leadership kept listening. And finally, there was just a a light that went on and let's give it a try. And at that point, everyone bought in. Now, I was bought in when I joined the team because, in fact, I was was one of the reasons I was excited for the opportunity uh, was to be at an organization like this. But I guess back to a point a minute ago, well, I guess Netherlands is looking at a four-day work week. You see some movement around that in the world. But for now, there's not a big governmental decree that this is the new way of doing business. But think about things like we rolled out a parental leave program not long ago. It's 24 weeks of paid parental leave for the primary caregiver, which in the U.S. is almost unheard of. Um, it rivals some of you know, the Western European countries. The U.S. is kind of in a sad state of not providing any paid parental leave. We decided to roll out 24 weeks of paid parental leave for the primary caregiver and eight weeks of paid parental leave for the secondary caregiver. Now, I've got five children. And I'm trying to convince Simpro that I didn't get any of that when my kids were young. Can I please have my eight weeks times five kids, my 40 weeks of, you know, pay? <laughs> and they've said no, but I'm still working on them. That's a great benefit. There needs to be a time where our, our government in the U.S. says there needs to be paid paternity leave. Right. And I, I hope we get there. There's questions of funding. It comes up in most legislative sessions. But when that comes, if that's when your company decides to embrace it, the government gets all the credit for doing the thing you should have been doing all along. We did this because it was the right thing to do. There's no governmental decrees or city or county ordinances that pressured us in any way. And so we rolled that out in all, all of our markets. One of the other things, and I'm asking this with permission, the Roe versus Wade decision. Yes. And you are responding to that as well. And I realize that these are tricky political conversations. Sure. And some organizations will fall on one side and some will fall on another. Let's just get to the point, be candid and honest. Whatever political affiliation someone might have around this topic, let's put that aside. As a leadership team, we keep track of the occurrences in all of our markets be it economically, politically. And this was a big one in the U.S., again, not just in a divisive way, but in a way that it impacted a woman's right to her own physical and reproductive health. And so as a leadership team, we made a very quick decision that we wanted to take a stand. Again, people will disagree with the stand we took, but we wanted to make sure that we enabled individuals, if that was a choice they needed to make, that we enabled them to continue to make that choice. And we've done that through a medical travel reimbursement program. So if any of our employees needs to travel for medical procedures, we cover up to $5,000 in those travel expenses. 
Again, it was designed to be empowering. It was designed for, in our way, we call it doing the right thing. It felt like the right thing to do. The same way that the parentally feels like the right thing to do. That's driving our decision. So yes, we did take a stand in the Roe v. Wade situation. We found a way to administer it where we as, as an organization will never know who may have ventured where for what procedure. We have a third party that's administering this for us and who knows if anyone will ever take advantage of that benefit or not, but if it was, it was important for us to not just make that expression of support and that position known, but also to facilitate a way for that to occur if it needed to occur. And so this goes into the same bucket of someone going to MD Anderson or the Cleveland Clinic for cancer treatments. It could, and we're willing to do that. And so, you know, on the protective side as an organization, we'll never know who went where for what. It could be the Mayo Clinic. It could be a specialist for burns in another state. We don't know. We just have set this out there for our employees or their dependents to work through this third party to submit for reimbursement for hotels, rental cars, airlines, meals, whatever's incurred in these expenses or these, these trips. And we assume that people are held to some account by the third party administrator that if I live in Ohio, I can't go to Hawaii for an abortion. Yeah. And spend a week on the beach. Yes. There are checks and balances in place, but for them as well, because of the political climate, mm-hmm. this third party's not getting too much into the weeds either. So to your point earlier, Maureen, this is a program that could be subject to abuse. You know, somebody could submit their travel expenses for Disneyland or Universal Studios, and there's a chance that some of those things could get through for reimbursement. But again, we're not going to set up our programs around those exceptions, those worst case scenarios. We're going to set up our programs around taking care of the employees and, and allowing them to be who they choose to be. And back to your, it costs more to administer a micromanagement program than you save by catching the one or two outliers. Oh, yeah. Frankly, your strongest employees aren't going to want to cheat the system. No, no, they're not going to. And I think you you take anything that we're rolling out, results matter. Meaning so on the flex four, if people are not able to meet their objectives, we, we still can address performance. We're not addressing how many hours they're working per week, but we're talking about their objectives not being met. You know, if someone were to abuse this and the third party didn't catch it, you know, we're not even going to know who to go after. And that's okay. I mean, it's just the exposure is so small. We would rather give people a chance to be adults, behave like adults. And then we're going to err on the side of trusting our employees. And, you know, hopefully the few that might try to take advantage of those things will figure it out and be able to address it. But the exposure we feel is, is mitigated by you know, our performance standards, clear objectives. And again, I think our employees want to be here. I don't think they'd want to put anything uh, at risk. The cheaters will cheat multiple times yeah, and they'll get weeded out in one way or another. I think so. What do you anticipate as the future of work and how is this positioning Simpro to, I don't know that I like the term win the war for talent, but how does it position you to thrive in a very dynamic and uncertain environment? It's a great question. And I'll use the term war for talent. Or maybe we can say competition for talent. There is a competition for talent and there will be an increase in competition for talent as our workforce ages. We've got to recognize that the future is going to be different than it is today. Of course, it always is. Technology is amazing and how much changes, but our workforce is going to change too. 
And so if you are lagging behind what other organizations are doing, you're going to lose that competition for talent. There are those individuals that want a traditional work setting and want to go to the office. And I taught my employees today, I taught my managers about interviewing today. And there's a different skill set that it takes to thrive at a, at a growing software company like, like Simpro. It's at a different skill set than if I was going to work at the bank. If I was going to work at the traditional bank, I'm looking for someone with a different mindset, a different set of motivations than someone who might work in a growing, um, expanding software organization with a little more ambiguity, a little more of a global audience, et cetera, et cetera. So as we think about the future of work, organizations can choose how they pace their competition. They can lag the market all they want and see what the trends are. And a lot of organizations will like parental leave are doing that. We'll see what the state of California imposes. We're going to see what, whatever it is, they're going to, they're going to see what's imposed and react at that point. They're going to see what their competitors are doing and maybe react at that point. The trick is the employees know what your competitors are doing more than you do because your competitors are calling them, offering them opportunities and exposing where you might not be everything you could be for your employees. And so I choose, we choose to be at the forefront of that new employee experience, creating something new and fresh, mastering it so that, you know, as, as we approach this new era of work where people want flexibility, people want growth, career pathing, they want balance between work and life. They want their mental and physical health cared for, monitored. They want leadership that cares about them, listens to them. We're trying to craft this organization that is ready for the next stage. And so as we try to lead with these programs, we too are watching what's going on around us so that we can be ready and alert and aware for what's next. I assume then you have a strong strategic planning or at least a process to be looking at trends, looking at competitive analysis, because the tech industry is changing quickly. It is changing very quickly. And there's we watch that spectrum, we watch all spectrums, but in the tech world, and that's the demographic that we're competing for, and we're a small company. Nobody's heard of us. You know, and so some of the things we're doing now, we're trying to get our name on the roadmap so that people know who we are. I'd never heard of Simpro when they reached out to interview me. And so some of the efforts here will hopefully get us better known so that people are not surprised when we reach out to them for an interview and they get excited about the opportunity are more proactive in, in their own reaching out for us. But we are watching what's going on out there. Our executive team meets six days a week. And so that sounds a little bit uh, of a contrast to what I shared about the flex floor. But there's seven of us, but we meet six days a week for an hour to hour and a half. And in that session is our strategy. And part of that session is what's going on in the market around us. So headlines are shared, articles are shared, trends are shared, statistics are shared. So the people side of our business is a part of almost every discussion. So it isn't then the thing you do annually or three years or five years. It's an ongoing. It can't be a quarterly or even an annual focus. It literally for us, as we see anything at all. I mentioned the Netherlands looking at a four, mandating a four-day work week. That, as soon as it was announced, was on our chat. We talked about it that day. Again, we're watching everything that's good. And as companies were returning people to work and hybrid people back to work. And, you know, Elon Musk says, get back in the office or else. Those are the things that we're watching to see what, 
what's the future of tech? What are other organizations doing? And again, we don't overreact to any one thing, but we're watching these things as trends to see where, where everyone else is and what are we doing to compete with or be ahead of those trends. Tell me a little bit about your leadership team, because you are taking different decisions than the average group of leaders. And you said they weren't all a bunch of Birkenstock wearing hippie guys in tie-dyed shirts. They were business people. They are absolutely phenomenal executives. I'm a little further along in my career. I've been on a few executive teams and this group is, is intelligent and as financially minded as any group I've ever worked with. So they've got everything that they need to run the business and run it very well. They're also very tenured with the organization. I think three of them have been with the company for 10 years or more. And so they know the organization inside out. They love this brand. They love the company. They care for it. What I think is unique about this leadership team is we have so much fun. When you're together six days a week and when we travel, we travel for two weeks at a time together. But it's a blast. We get along well. We have great relationships. We can absolutely challenge each other because of the relationships we have. We can create better decisions. And so I would say that's the one element that's different about this team. Incredible business professionals, some of the brightest I've ever worked with, some of the the strongest caliber I've ever worked with. But we were grounded, meaning that we just feel we're connected with each other. And when you see this group, we meet with the employees about every quarter where we're somewhere, all of us with the employees, and we are truly with the employees. We're not off in a conference room by ourselves. We are mixing, mingling, connecting. So the open door is very literally a face-to-face opportunity from all of us as often as we can create it. So it's just a very grounded team that is more connected with the day-to-day employee experience than I've ever experienced before. I love the idea you, you mentioned, we can have conflict. And I think of our small leadership team, we have conflict. We are not the same person or people. And sometimes it hurts, but the, the outcome is much better because I'm not the smartest, even though I'd like to be, I'm not the smartest person on the team about everything, but I come in with strong opinions. You should. Even if they're wrong. As a leader, you should. So how does that look for you differing? Because I'm guessing, are you all from different countries? Good question. So of the seven of us, three are Australia, one's New Zealand, three are U.S. Two of us in the U.S. are relatively new. And so it really has been primarily an Australia-led organization. But there is, for those that haven't worked with Australians, there's a candor about the way they do business. They say it like it is. And that's permeated our style where we, we say it like it is with love and respect. Because to your point, Maureen, we're leaders. We come in with opinions. We come in with decisions that we like. And so as we present those things and analyze those things, you have to focus on the issue and not the person and recognize that the challenge is on the issue and not you. And again, the relationships we built are such that we can have those candid conversations and then go have a drink afterwards and everyone feels wonderful about life and we've made a better decision and, you know, emotions are, are fine. So it's a good environment that way where you can have, you know, good candid exchange, question each other. And the question, again, if it, where I've been questioned before, it hasn't put me on the defensive. It doesn't put me on my heels. 
It helps me ask better questions. It, it forces me to answer to things that I probably should have presented or maybe didn't think of in advance. And so it's all so positive if you approach it with the relationships that you've built already in mind. It's interesting you brought up the point, we can be candid and say it like it is with love and respect. Yeah. Because I, I hear people use the excuse of, I'm just saying it like it is, and they're obnoxious. Yeah. Steamrolling someone does not lend to strong relationships. It doesn't. Again, I've, I've been I've worked for a few companies. I've reported to CEOs most of my career. And I can say that now because I'm older in the workforce. But I have had the boss before that has been absolutely demeaning, mean, hurtful. I won't ever do that again. Meaning I, you learn probably more from the bad bosses than you do from the good ones. And one of the things I learned from a bad boss that I had for several years was that that approach to leadership is hurtful. I set a record at that company for being the longest standing direct report for that individual because everyone else got pushed out or walked away because of that treatment. And so not a badge of honor, actually. I probably should have moved on sooner, but it made it again. Those are people that don't belong in those roles. That's your style. Candor in that sense, you're an asshole. Sorry. That's different than candor, right? And so don't check that behavior at the door as it's just me being honest and just saying like it is. No, there's a right way and a respectful way to make that same point. Thank you for sharing the nuance of say it like it is can look a whole bunch of different ways. Some of those ways cause us to leave. They do. You think about exits from organizations. I've been fortunate enough to work for organizations where we've been able to win awards for culture, work-life balance. You know, most recently, Simpro was recognized for best career paths because a growing company provides a lot of opportunities. But those companies still lose people. But they're losing people because of the manager they've got. That's the old adage. You don't leave your company, you leave your manager. But all it takes is a bad experience. You have a bad day. You're mistreated. Uh, you're disrespected. And that's what opens the door for floating the resume, accepting the headhunter call. And so, yeah, there's a big pressure on managers to be good to their people, to listen to their people, make those connections. Let's go down that path for just a second. It is so crucial in a time where we're competing for talent yeah. that it doesn't take much for someone to say, I don't think I want to work here anymore. That's right. And it is the boss, generally. Mm -hmm. It is. And yet there's a balance between, I can't be afraid to ask my people to do their jobs. Yeah. So how do you navigate that? Because we all have days where we're like, yeah, I, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to talk to anyone. I want to keep my camera off and do my work alone. And somebody may need to tell me to turn my camera on and re-engage. They may. They may. There's a balance. One, in an organization like ours and like many other software growing companies, you have first-time managers. You've got people that have been promoted into those jobs. They've been great independent contributors. They may be first-time managers. You owe it to them to train them to make them as effective as they can be. And so organizations like ours need to be developing their managers as they get placed into those roles. So that's on the organization. If you get a weak manager and that's the deficit is that they haven't been trained. So organizations have a responsibility there. The managers have a responsibility to hold their people accountable for work. We expect managers to manage work output, period. And employees have a responsibility to get that 
work done to meet their objectives. And so we try to be very clear as an organization what the objectives are. As an organization, we set those objectives at the beginning of the year. We cascade them through each team. And therefore, it's part of the organization's target. So as we talk about our programs, our benefits, our perks, it is while we're achieving those targets that those things can be enjoyed. So we try to enable the managers to address performance for just what it is. Uh, it's performance. And it does put them in the rough seat sometimes. You know, they have to, being candid in that way is hard. It's easy. It's easy for me in the HR side to advise other people how to be candid with your team. But if you put yourself in their shoes talking to your team, it's always hard to talk to your people about performance and results. But if the objectives are clear and they're being missed, the prizes are where we have our challenges with our managers, perhaps, is, is the employee had no idea that was expected. They had no idea they were not making their targets. So the clearer those objectives are, the manager can sit down with the employee if, if you've done it just right and say, do you know why we're meeting here, Dan? And Yeah, I, we're here because I'm like, I'm behind. I'm a couple of days behind on my project timeline. So we, we try to make it clear as that so that it takes takes a little bit of the, the, I guess, the direct confrontation out of the manager's presentation. And it's just, here's the objectives, you're behind. How can we help you achieve those things? How do you train your managers to lead and to manage? It's a good question. And it is an ongoing process. That's one of the things that didn't exist uh, when I joined at Simpro, other than just trial by fire which most of us learned how to do many things in life in that way. I've got like little scars on my body from learning to ride a bike and things like that. So we, we learn as we go. And so for many, it was that way. But like just I mentioned a training I did earlier today, I'm training all of our managers of people how to interview today. Actually, I'm doing seven sessions over the next two weeks so that we can have some personal conversations with those 60 managers of people and teach them how to be as effective as they can in selecting the future talent for our company. And so it'll be modules and, and elements like that rolled out a piece at a time to managers and even to our employees. So we're, we're building out that content. Uh, we've identified competencies that our managers need to have. We're building that content out. Uh, you can't overwhelm them with six or eight courses at once. And so we're rolling them out one at a time. And, but eventually we'll have a battery of courses that, that matches our culture and gives our leaders the, the experience and the applications they need. We've looked at some external partners and things like that that could expedite some of this training, and some organizations will do that. I'm an advocate for at the manager level doing it internally because every organization has that unique culture, unique values, and it's not a hard set of topics to, to roll out with some of the experiences that our leadership has already. So it sounds like you're investing like you have in all of the other areas in building the skills in your managers and leaders. We have to. Yeah, like I said, that's where the organization could ultimately fail is if our managers are the reason that people might leave the organization. So I've, I've got a theory about resignations that I teach my team and I try to teach others is that if you look at most companies' statistics around exits, why do people leave? They leave when they've got a better job. Of course they did. They're not going to leave when they got a worse job, right? So, of course, 60, 70% of most HR systems will record that we left when we got a better job. On its surface, that might look like maybe we're paying behind the market, maybe something, you know. But what really happened is some employee had a bad day, got frustrated. It's almost like a pre-turnover reason. There was something that prompted a need to look for something else. 
And I left only when I found a better job, right? So unless organizations are looking earlier in the storyline, you're going to miss the boat. You'll be adapting your pay practices and things like that when maybe you don't need to. Maybe you need to be fixing that manager. Maybe you need to be removing a bureaucratic process that people just get frustrated with. And so those things earlier are very actionable. That's the exciting thing about addressing turnover in that way. Develop your managers, remove challenges. And how we've gone about finding those at this organization and others, we conduct, I call them VIP interviews. Other organizations might call them retention interviews. But you talk to your best performers and you say, what do you most value about working here? And you make sure that as you listen to those, that feedback, you make sure you amplify those things and secure and protect those good things. But you also ask that same group, what's been the most frustrating thing you've experienced in the last 60 days? And you get rid of that. You find some way to remove those bad days so that you don't have the eventuality of, I left when I found a better opportunity or I left because I couldn't stand my manager anymore. It's not what they tell you, but again, so it's about listening. Again, we've got all the way back to listening to your employees uh, again. So proactive sentiment checking. Proactive sentiment of the right audience. Correct. You can do your engagement surveys, which is wonderful. Do that. Get that feedback. Act on it. Show people you're acting on it. But one of the cool things about doing a VIP interview, you know, Maureen, if, if you were in the organization and I said, hey, Maureen, your manager identified you as a VIP. I want to put time on your calendar for 30 minutes to just ask you some questions. It feels like recognition. So, again, you're recognizing your top performers. You acknowledge they're a top performer and they share just no holds barred, candid, good, good feedback. So that's been the approach we've taken. And it's a good approach. I love the idea how often do you do them? Every six months. Again, because you think about the whole engagement survey mindset, there's survey fatigue, but as you talk with the VIP and the VIP list changes, and so we try to mix it up so that maybe we're doing 10%, the top 10% in January, next 10%, or maybe the new top 10% in July. So you're not hitting the same people time after time but you're still working on that top tier of the organization because if we're in this competition for talent, the group that we need to make sure is most satisfied are the top performers, right? That's the audience that matters most. We love all our employees. Every employer should love all their employees, but shouldn't your programs and standards be built around those top performers? And so that's where the listening ear pays a little more attention is to those people that are identified as the best of the best that you have. I like that it shifts. I like that they're real conversations because to your point about in, engagement scores, and I know in some organizations, probably not yours, there are leaders who pressure their folks that if you give us a low score, that means we have to go to all these meetings to figure out how to raise our score and you're going to be stuck with more work and it's not going to get any better anyway. Yeah. So we'll just give you all fives. You have to show the organization that it's okay to say twos and threes. And I, I make it a point when I run these surveys to immediately release the results to all groups. So meaning that for my team, my team helps administer the, the, the sharing of the results of the organization. They see the raw data. They see comments that might call out something about me, but I just say, guys, this is it. This, this is a hundred percent, no edits. This is what it is. And that's how I want you to share with the organization. We don't learn with filters on. You think about everything we've been able to accomplish You know, you didn't do that by filtering important messages. You did it by listening truly to what was being said. 
and the organization stands to find a lot of opportunities to remove those bad days and challenging experiences that will improve your employees' performance, their tenure, engagement, satisfaction, and so on. This then must link to your performance management system as well, that a lot of people have moved away from the traditional annual feedback session with a long performance appraisal citing everything you did wrong over the last year and everything you did right, and then you get a force ranking and your pay raise is based on that. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming yours is much more progressive than that. Yeah, that's... I have nightmares still about the old performance evaluation processes. Being in HR leadership for a while, I've administered everything imaginable. But where I find the market's going and where I find the most value is in the more frequent, less formal feedback realm. And I think there's elements that are missing in the, I'm going to try to gather all the acorns, put it into one basket once a year. You can't remember the whole year ever. You know, I don't care how good your one-on-one notes are. There's going to be a recency effect. There's going to be all kinds of shortcomings to it. So my organization really pushed the weekly one-on-ones with your team members where goals and objectives are reviewed. You're current on those things where it's a mutual exchange that's, that's run by both the employee and the manager. Those are important to us. And so that by the time we get to like a quarterly feedback session, there's not a surprise. It's just, it feels almost more like that weekly one-on-one. That's where we're headed. There is a year-end summary, but I, I, what I mean, it's like a summary. It'll take someone 10 minutes to complete. It's just an overall evaluation on how the objectives, the targets went last year, and then a comment about the employee's overall performance, and you're done. Looking for opportunities, again, where I'm relatively new to the organization, we're looking for opportunities on other points during the year to talk very specifically with the employee about their career goals and what we can be doing to help facilitate next steps in their career. And so taking it away from just, you know, here's your goals, here's your targets, three out of five, um, to more meaningful, personal, I care about you, I understand you, I'm invested in you. One of the phrases I've liked that I've heard recently is I'm engaged in you. So you think about employee engagement all the time. We're really trying to be an employer that's engaged in the employees. And so reversing that trend a little bit, but trying to teach our managers to spend the time with the employees to understand who they are, what they want to accomplish, and trying to facilitate that. And in a growing company like Simpro, it's about the greatest opportunity we might have to facilitate those career paths and dreams, whatever they might be. So as we think about the young people wanting to be mission-focused, do meaningful work, have a career path, have someone that cares about them, even back to the Gallup Q12, somebody asked me how I'm doing this week, someone cared about me as a person, not just my productivity. It sounds like whether you went through those one by one or however you designed your program, it sounds like you've captured the gist of the different theory and both what demographic groups want and just what factors are required for highly engaged employees. We're trying to. I would never say that I'll ever have that mastered or that we're ever ahead of the game. My job is still identifying what's next. It's kind of a fun situation to be in, but we rolled out a few new programs to our employees at our last big town hall meetings, like worldwide, which means it's early in the morning for some groups, late at night for others. But we rolled out like our parental leave program. We rolled out the Roe versus Wade thing. I literally had to hold back some of my future programs because it was just too much. 
we rolled out, I get the same thing, we rolled out an outreach program where employees contribute a couple of dollars a paycheck if they choose, and it goes into a fund where employees can make an appeal to a third party that I'm in financial straits. I could use a little financial support and they submit the invoice to the third party. And then like just, we helped an employee in Australia pay for an MRI that they couldn't pay out of pocket just last month, but it's employee contributions. So we're rolling out so many good things, but I had to hold some things back because we have more in store, more employee programs to keep people excited, engaged, and it's an ongoing process. We'll never have it figured out. So we're always asking ourselves what's next, what's needed. We're trying to be a great employer. We want to keep people engaged. We recognize that engagement is kind of the beginning of the cycle. If they're engaged. We get the most out of our teams. I mean, they, they're happy to be here. They're, they're an active, engaged member of the team. But we're going to get there more, more holistically with these programs we've got where we allow people to be who they choose to be, balance life as they choose to balance it. And again, it, it works out to the benefit of the employee and the employer. Final question. As you look at the new programs you have going on and the things you've already implemented, which sounds phenomenal in four months, I can't imagine talking to you next year and hearing what you've done. So what are you most excited about over the next year? What do you have in store? So next in line for me is peer recognition, values-based peer recognition. The company has great values. Peers are big fans of each other, but there's never been a mechanism you know, for the organization to call out peer-to-peer recognition, nor has there been, in my opinion, as much reinforcement of the values as an organization like ours should have. And so for me, that's on the immediate horizon. The next 60 days is a solution for peer recognition. I think big picture, though, more exciting than all of that is I'm doing a lot of work around clarity around career pathing global career pathing so that employees in all countries and all careers can see what's next, what's required for next steps. I think that will have as big of an impact on our employee experience as just about anything else we're working on. It's a lot of work, but we've started those conversations, the mapping of jobs and everything already. And I feel like we owe it to the employees to show them what's next for them because You'll lose people in the same way that if some might have a bad day, if, if they think they're at the end of their career, where do they get their next step? They might get it somewhere else, right? That might be the door that opens. And so I see that career pathing development as one of the biggest contributions that we're going to make in the next 12 months for our employee base. Beautiful. Rod, thank you. It's been such a pleasure to hear about the very progressive things you're doing and that you're doing it in a business with economically solid leaders. This isn't a, an experiment that as soon as the market turns down, you're going to turn all the benefits off and go back to the old way of doing business. It's been a blast. It's been an honest, I've, I've never had so much fun and seen such positive results. And it just, it's just so nice that it can be hand in hand that way. Where would our listeners learn more about Simpro, maybe some of your programs, or about you? Oh, good question. I don't think there's that much about me out there. There's been a couple of blog posts we've put out recently, one in particular about these programs. On Simpro, certainly our website, the career space has quite a bit. We've built out quite a profile on the Comparably site as well. And so that might be another place that people could look to find out more about these programs in particular, or follow us on LinkedIn. We're big on promoting the How I Flex For hashtag, things like that. 
you can start to see how some of these programs are actually being applied. Rod, thank you so much for sharing all of your insights. And I also want to thank Connex Partners for sponsoring this program and identifying you as a person whose story we should share. No, thank you. Thanks to Connex as well. This has been a real pleasure. And to our listeners, thank you for engaging, for leading effectively, for being open to new ideas and piloting them. Please like us, share us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter.